I just want to say welcome everyone to the season two finale episode of the Brothers Grimm podcast. Yeah, it's awesome. I can't believe we've hit, we finished two seasons. What is this, our 20th episode? 20 episodes, yeah. That's amazing. It's pretty great. I mean, I've really enjoyed myself. We've talked about a lot of different things from supernatural stories to true crime to creepypasta a little bit in there. It's really been a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of stories that I've never heard of and uh, just kind of learning about different paranormal and grim stories. Kind of cool. Well, here's another one you've probably never heard of, but I think I'm being haunted by my dead cat. And I'll tell you why. So she's a, she was a nice cat. It was, my, it was my wife's cat. She had her for about 20 years, which is a long time for a cat. And cats don't usually live that long. But overall, she was a nice cat. I never thought I'd, I'd possibly be haunted by this very sweet cat. So I'm sitting in my office, and I keep hearing the phantom meows. Now, I know that people will say, like, oh, you just, you're just hearing things. No, I'm hearing a meow, meow, meow. And then I'll, I won't hear it for a few minutes. And then I'll hear meow, meow again. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's probably outside. So I, what do I do? I go outside and check. I don't go out the front door. No, no. I don't want somebody to see me on the ring doorbell looking around for a cat that's not there. So I go out the back door and I go around to the side to see if it's on the side close to my office. Can't find a cat. Now, I know there is a cat that wanders around our area of the neighborhood. But it's so close to me when I hear the meows that I, it's got to be either just outside the window which I've peeked out to see right as it happens, I don't see a cat. All right? So I'm thinking like, great, phantom meows. But I've been hearing it more often in the last mm, probably week or two. And something happened the other night that made me even more unsettled and pretty sure that I'm being haunted by this cat. I was sitting in my office. Tori was in the office with me. We were doing some bills on the computer. And I don't have the fan on or anything like that. The window's not open. The air's not even blowing. And I look over, and there's a sheet of paper sitting on the table that all of a sudden moves as if somebody had pushed down on it. Did Tori also see this? Tori also saw it. She, she, I said something about it, and she said, you know, I was just wondering if you saw that too, if it was just me. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I saw this paper move on its own. And so I'm sitting here. I'm at the computer. And the computer to the paper is probably about maybe, maybe two or three feet maybe three or four feet, something like that. It's a relatively good distance. So I'm sitting here at the computer trying to wave things, trying to wave my hand or blow really hard to see if I can get this paper to move, assuming that it's that maybe I caused it or one of us caused it. I can't get it to move. I even go as far as to like push down on the paper to see if that, that causes it or like even wave my hand close to it. It does not move the same way that it moved before. And that's like the first time in my life that I have had some type of occurrence happen that I just can't really explain how or, or how that happened. And I'm literally a little, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a little disappointed that it, it probably is a, haunt, a haunting from a cat. I mean, of all the things. Well, to me, that's just another reason not to like cats. I'm not, a, I'm, that. I'm not a huge cat person. I'm allergic and cats are gross. And well, I can't, I, I don't like them alive, much less haunting me. Pet cemetery style. So now I'm not the only one that's heard the phantom meows. Tori has heard them too. She just thinks that, uh, you know, she doesn't really believe in the spirit world and stuff like that. She doesn't believe in ghosts. She believes in spirits, which, are, you know, we'll get into that maybe one day. But we've both heard them and now we, we both saw this piece of paper moving. So I'm pretty sure I'm getting haunted by a cat. Well, that sounds horrifying. Yep. 
it's it's fun to talk about ghosts and spirits, but I don't know if I actually want to uh, experience a ton. That's been fun so far. It's been like a little challenge for me whenever I, I hear a meow again. I'm like, where's that cat? Where's that cat at? So in a lot of the same vein that Joey had with sharing his creepy story, uh, the formula for tonight's season two finale podcast is going to be one of a campfire feel. You know, when you're sitting around with your friends camping, you know, you're you're all sharing spooky stories or stories that unsettle you or stories that just make you nervous to go sleep in a tent. That's going to be the point of tonight. Yeah, these are stories that either were submitted to us or we read somewhere and didn't feel like it was a good story to tell normally. So we wanted to bring this to you in a little bit different fashion. I love campfire tales. I love, uh, I, I really enjoy the campfire stories where you do a round robin where like one person starts the story and then it goes to the next person. They continue the story, but they add their, you know, parts of the story that they like and maybe a scary new creature or something like that. I think that's always fun. So it's a creepy improv. I love it. So let's sit back and enjoy the Brothers Grimm Podcast's Campfire Tales. The story is not directly mine, but it is too close to home. I spent five years with my grandparents between the years of 1995 and 2000 in the outskirts of a town called Chapulhuacan, Hidalgo, Mexico. This town is right at the border of Hidalgo State and San Luis Potosí. In the SLP state was a larger town called Tamazunchale, where we would buy city-type things by the bulk. The one-way trip is one hour in between these two big towns, and down a long two-way road are smaller, tiny neighborhoods along the way. In one of these cities, the news broke out one early morning about a teacher who had been run over with her students along the side of the road, and they all perished. Everyone was shocked, but not surprised, because our roads have so many curves and turns, there isn't a section of the road that is straight, so all you see is the cliff to the right and a mountain wall on the left, and every other part, you see a cross of someone who drove off the cliff. Well, later I learned that the teacher would meet her students at the bus stop and walk them back to school to avoid them running into the street. And she did it for a long time. But on that fateful day, someone dozed off at the wheel and lost control and took out the teacher and the kids that were with her. It had been a few years and people started talking about one of the saddest and spookiest sights. The teacher with the kids walking in the middle of the night along the road as they passed the curve. Another story happened to my grandmother, a similar thing. On the main road of the same area, supposedly, a car drove off the cliff and a husband, wife, and baby died. Further down the cliff, a different road was made to reach my grandparents' neighborhood. Imagine two parallel roads, one on top of the other. Well, one night my grandmother was late and she decided to walk home on this bottom road around 8 to 9 p.m. As she came to the section where the family drove off from above, her flashlight started acting up, and all she could hear in the most quiet ever night was the crying of a baby. 
As she finished passing through, the flashlight started working and the baby stopped crying. All she said, I prayed for the people that passed away and I prayed for the Lord to walk beside me until I made it home. I'm not sure if this has ever been mentioned, but mine and Jeremy's dad, Dan, loves camping. Growing up in Pennsylvania, I'm sure he enjoyed camping in the Pennsylvania woods as a boy. He loves the outdoors so much he has become very involved in Boy Scouts at a young age. Well, on these camping trips, he used to tell us the same ghost story. Well, not really ghost story, more like a monster tale. And we loved hearing this story. Every time around a campfire, this was the story I wanted old Danny Boy to tell us. Be wary on a dark winter's night, traveling through the heavily wooded Bops Mountains in north central Pennsylvania. No one knows what the creature is that stalks the woods near Kogan House Township, but it's kept hunters away from the hunting grounds and scared wild game away since the 50s. To those who've seen it, they say it's a monstrous creature with the body of a mountain lion, but the snout of a bear or wolf. But what wolf mangles and tears its prey apart, leaving a bloody mutilated carcass all over the place? Why can't experienced hunters capture or kill this mysterious critter? This critter was so elusive that in 1954, a safari of 800 hunters, aided by three airplanes and a Red Cross mobile unit, set out to track down this mysterious critter of Kogan House as it came to be known. The mammoth hunt was organized with a prize of $300 for whoever bags the mysterious critter. But the critter was never found. To this day, keep a watchful eye out when you're in the woods of Pennsylvania. And if you look up into the darkness and see two glowing red eyes, turn and run, or the Kogan House Critter will leave you mangled next. This story was found on SlimeBeast.com, posted by the administrator. Growing up poor in the Deep South meant sharing a lot with my little brother, Ollie. Most often, we'd pass toys, clothes, and skin conditions between us. Up until he was six, we even shared a bed. Neither of us was happy about that. It was my 10th birthday when that changed. I got one present that year, and it was a bed of my own. Ollie was jealous right away, and I could understand why. He had to keep that half-broken-down frame with the worn-out mattress. The one I'd gotten wasn't much better, but not being broken and worn was enough. Sleeping apart was a great feeling. It was freedom. No longer would I have to suffer the sudden and inexplicable kicks to the stomach. No longer would I wake up with Ollie's foot pressed into my neck like he'd stepped on Dracula the night before. At least that's what I thought. Right away, right after I got the new bed, the shriek started. At first, I thought Ollie woke up in the middle of the night and screamed because he'd gotten scared. Then the sound echoed through the tiny room again, and I knew it wasn't a normal cry. The room was always pitch black after sunset. The one window we had pressed against a long leaf pine, and even the biggest, brightest moon cast no light inside. The shriek just about drove me crazy. Every night, probably about the same time, the sharp yells would knock me right out of my dreams. It wasn't my mom or dad yelling. I knew that, and I knew what it sounded like, believe me. Most worrying of all was the fact that I could never tell where it was coming from. It seemed completely random. 
On one night, it'd come somewhere from the closet. The next, it'd shoot out from a corner of the ceiling. Any hope I'd had of having my own space was getting dashed every time Ollie would silently slip into bed with me, shaking like crazy. He'd clasp onto me and wouldn't let go until it was almost daybreak. Most times I'd take his hand and tell him everything was going to be okay, that it'd be over by morning, but I was never really sure. Over time, the shriek started changing. At first, it was only by small degrees, but it eventually took on that hooting sound of a primate calling out its fierce warning. I had to clasp pillows to my ears just to keep from going deaf. Mom and Dad never believed me or Ollie basically because the thing was, whatever it was, refused to make a peep when they were in the room. Apparently, they couldn't even hear it through the walls, even though I was pretty sure it was loud enough. The shriek just got worse and worse until I felt like I couldn't take it anymore. Me and Ollie were doing really bad in school. We had no energy. I could sleep more deeply with my head propped up and eyes open in the middle of class than I could in my own room at night. Then, thankfully, we moved out of the house nearly a year later. I had contemplated all sorts of things, even a child's clumsy concept of suicide, to get away from that horrific nightly noise. There was no problem at the next house. It was a nice, white, cookie-cutter home on a dead-end street, and I welcomed the normalcy. What's more, when we moved in, there was a bunk bed waiting for me and Ollie. No more broken bed. No more second bed I ended up having to share anyway. The only problem was deciding who'd get to get the top bunk. I told Ollie I deserved it. After all, I had gotten a new bed way back, and he ruined it by climbing in every night. What? He shook his head. I never did that. I had always wondered why the noise stopped the second I shared my bed with him. Now I had the answer.